This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Can we start with the Evander Kane clip from yesterday at the Heritage Classic? We're going to go over a lot of things today. We're going to go over lots about the Heritage Classic. We're going to talk a lot about neck guards today as well. We'll talk about the weekend that was around the NHL, the week that will be, and the weekend as well. And we'll talk plenty about Joe Thornton, who officially calls it a career. But I have not stopped laughing since I heard this last night at the Heritage Classic. Maybe you're the same way. Maybe you're still giggling thinking about it because it's such a profound thing in scrums. The thing about scrums in hockey is, you know who's going to do something? No one. Nothing. Hockey scrums is the new hockey fights. I'm waiting for hockeyscrums.com to replace hockeyfights.com. The old website started by David Singer, who since sold it and has moved on to greener pastures. Evander Kane during the scrum yesterday <laughs> made my day. Let's hear Evander Kane yesterday from the Heritage Classic. Lance? What are you going to do? What is anybody here going to do? What is anybody here going to do? Evander Kane had himself a heck of a game last night. Uh, Heritage Classic, the Edmonton Oilers win by a final score of 5-2. And the question becomes, was it a bigger win for Edmonton or a bigger loss for the Calgary Flames? I guess maybe it depends whether you're a glass half empty or a glass half full type person. As a cynical old media hack, I'm a uh, glass half empty kind of person. So this is doom and gloom for the Calgary Flames. We'll get there in a couple of moments. Elliot, by the way, is traveling. And Elliot, by the way, was partying with Nickelback last night. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that's a story I'm telling people. It hopes that it is true. I actually don't think it is true, but it's a nice story nonetheless. Uh, So Elliot's traveling back to Toronto today. So he's on the program tomorrow. Um, Let me let you know what's going on the show today. We'll talk plenty about the topics that I just mentioned a couple of seconds ago. Uh, Vince Mercogliano will stop by. We'll talk about the New York Rangers, the refuse-to-lose New York Rangers. Also, Mark Spector stops by to kick off Hour 2. We'll talk about the Edmonton Oilers and can this be a turn the corner, hit refresh, reset everything, everything you you hope will happen with the Edmonton Oilers, a team that many picked to uh, come out of the Western Conference uh, as champions and qualify for the Stanley Cup. Can this be the great reset that we see? And Ryan Novozinski will stop by and we'll talk about the New Jersey Devils. Funny moment in the uh, game against the Minnesota Wild. Jack Hughes stops in front of Marc-Andre Fleury who just decides to have a chat with Jack Hughes. I threw this up on Twitter in the Mike Morielli uh, response to it. Um, just decides to have a chat to try to distract him. This was, by the way, a pretty interesting weekend for Marc-Andre Fleury. There was that moment, and there was the, also the moment that kicked off the weekend, which was Marc-Andre Fleury stopping Evgeny Kuznetsov on the super slow shootout. Turtle move. I don't know if that's a name for it. Is there a name for it? We all know what we're talking about, right? Marc-Andre Fleury stopped him on Friday. That was a nice little touch. Uh, okay, let's bring Matt Marchese aboard before we get to some of our guests here starting at the bottom of the hour. How are you doing today, Maddie? Did you enjoy Evander Kane? What's anybody going to do? Yeah, because... Moment that, last night? Yeah, that is the... It is funny that he just said it out loud. It's what everybody thinks. Maddie? <laughs> can Jeff not hear here me? Here we have Maddie. Oh, there we go. We got you on now. Yeah, I, I've been here. I don't know what happened. I can't. I can't okay. press buttons. But I anyway, turn, <laughs> I turned. I turned around, and there you were gone. Um. So, uh, to me, it's funny because Evander Kane now twice in a week has been basically saying what 
everyone else is thinking, which is which is kind of refreshing. Like, yeah, you're not going to do anything here, so let's just move on. Uh, because the the best part yeah. about Evander Kane saying that is, if somebody did want to do something, he would have no problem obliging. Yeah, that he's the one guy in that scrum that would do something. I don't know how you, how you feel about scrums. I hate them. I like if you're gonna like it's just like fight or have a face off, like one or the other. I was sort of saying tongue in cheek, hockey scrums.com has got to be the new hockeyfights.com. Ooh, scrumming it up. And the thing about scrums now is what you'll find is because a lot there's a lot of players now that are really uncomfortable with one-on-one physical confrontations. When guys grab each other now, they don't look at each other anymore. They sort of either stare at what's going on in the fight or they'll stare up at the crowd. Nobody wants to have that one-on-one confrontation. No you know, uh, unless someone might misinterpret it and actually want to do something physical at that moment. That's why I always loved Paul Stewart. Now, Paul Stewart was a former NHL official. Before that, he was uh, uh, an NHL and WHA and minor league tough guy. Um, And (laughs) Stewie was great. Stewie hated scrums too. So you know what he would do? He would pull his linesman out. It's like, uh, no one's coming in to bail you, all you fake tough guys. Like, no one's going to come in so you can hide behind them and snarl at uh, at the guy across from you. Stewie would pull his linesman out and say, are you going to do something about it or are you going to go to the face-off circle? One of two things. <laughs> um, Heritage Classic yesterday, 5-2 is the final score. It is the return of Connor McDavid. And the question becomes, is that now the return of the Edmonton Oilers? And Jay Woodcroft certainly hopes so. Uh, everyone from the players to the coaches to the manager to Jeff Jackson to Daryl Cates certainly hopes so. Um, that was a pretty impressive performance by Edmonton. Like, that looked like the Oilers squad uh, that we thought we were going to see all season long. Not the one that limped into Sunday, uh, but the one that we all wondered about in the off season. It was nice to see Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl reunite again and find seams like nobody else in the game. Matt Marchese, what did you take away from yesterday? Well, just in, I mean, well... I mean, outdoor games are sloppy. That's always my takeaway from every single one of them. I know I'm a bit of a oh, cynic. Oh, we're going to gross about that. <laughs> no, I, I'm just saying it's, it's always like that. So, I mean, that's the that's the constant. Here's what I will say hang about... On. Yes. Hang on, hang on, pa- hang on. Pause on Pause on that, though. Pause mm-hmm. on that, though. I, I think that is really a point. Like, like everything in life, uh, everything is based on your expectations of it. I don't go into a Winter Classic game saying, I'm going to see the game of the year. Because the conditions aren't controlled. Uh, ice quality is sometimes a jump ball. Although, as Craig Simpson was mentioning yesterday, the ice quality seemed to be really good. Mm-hmm. Um, they're getting this thing and have gotten this thing down to a, a, to a, to a science. Um, but I go into this thing saying, I'm going to see a hockey game played at about 75% of what I'm used to in the NHL. And if I get that, it's a good game. Yeah. How do you go into winter classics or outdoor games in general? Because it's not going to be the same. I have, I generally don't have expectations for the play because we've seen enough of them and we know. I like the Scenics. It's great. Um, you know, they get, teams get yeah. to wear different jerseys, all that stuff. I like that. But, you know, I hope for chaos, Jeff. I hope that the ice is a little bit choppy. I hope that the puck <laughs> bounces like crazy. Oh, jeez. Like, that's what I'm hoping no. for. So I don't even get that half the time now. So I, I've kind of just <laughs> tempered my expectations to this is just going to be uh, a regular hockey game where the offense, I mean, yesterday there were some goals, but we've seen outdoor games. I want to say, and this is the gambler in me, um, it's like 85% okay. of the games have hit the under in the outdoor games, like they're generally speaking pretty mm-hmm. low scoring. 
Now, with the ice quality getting better, I wonder if that does change, yeah. and maybe my expectations will get a little bit higher, but the game will always be sloppy. It's a different environment for these guys. It's not what they're used to used to playing in so i mean i don't go in with high expectations but yesterday at least they scored some goals uh they did and uh the most intriguing one if you want to follow chaos uh, the vincent deharnay goal which originally yeah. was credited to evander kane based on the tip but how about that one for a skipping rocks goal right over the shoulder of jacob markstrom who i felt bad for by the way calgary squandered a couple of good performances by markstrom like case in point last night uh as well uh so if you wanted some ice chaos or some puck we, chaos, we did get that you yeah. got it in the vincent de harnagle uh last night um Wait, as Jeff, a side Jeff, note Jeff, as well, hold on one sec on that one yeah. sec on that is that, and I don't know this, and I should probably email our, our stats department, is that the first player to score their first NHL goal in an outdoor game? I think so. I I, I feel like yes. Bring it off the top of my head, I think I so. I feel like yes. That is a question for the great Steve Steve Fallon. I'm going to send them an email stats. right now. Uh, Actually, who, Dave, you who can do that. Bills us out of everything. Yeah, get to, get Dave this and uh, send Steve Fallon a note asking if that. I think it is the first. That's pretty it's crazy. It's the first that I can recall. But, I mean, I've seen too many hockey games, and they all kind of bleed together after a while. Um, but that was uh, that that was a crazy hop. Just as a quick aside, I wanted to get to this earlier. Congratulations to uh, Megan Mickelson, mm-hmm. who officially called it a career uh, yesterday. 16 seasons with Team Canada, a couple of Olympic gold medals, a couple of world championship gold, and a silver medal. Uh, representing Canada, uh, outstanding defenseman. She was an absolute beast back there and a physical specimen as well and has transitioned into broadcasting like an Olympic diver into water. No ripple whatsoever. She's going to be a force uh, in hockey broadcasting as well. But Mick, congratulations on a great career. Uh, What did you make of the Calgary end of the ice? Speaking of chaos and controversy and what's next? Uh, you know, I don't know what to make of this team. Like, I, I had the same thought last year. I, I thought they were going to be a lot better than they were. And last year was a tire fire. We know that all those one goal games that they just could not finish off. Mm-hmm. And now this year, I'm looking at the team. Like, okay, I thought they were going to be better than last year, too. You know, change in philosophy, let the guys play a little bit. We haven't really seen it to this point. Like, to, to your point that you made in the opener about Edmonton, like, I would absolutely say that that was a bigger loss for the Flames than a bigger win for the Oilers. As much as yep. the Oilers have been struggling of late, they get, the thing is, is you get Connor McDavid back, you have Leon Dreisaitl. I look yep. on the other, other end of the ice and I say, well, you don't have either of those guys. So it's not like somebody else is walking through the door to save you. So that's where I kind of sit with the Flames right now. I'm, I know it's really early. Like we're, we're just, you know, harboring on November right now. I'm really concerned about the Flames. Uh, I think the Flames are concerned about the Flames. They should be. I think that all of Calgary is concerned about the Flames here. Let me, Elliot's traveling, but the the podcast we recorded last night, I want to play a couple of clips uh, from Fridge here because one of the things that we're all wondering about now is the nature of contract extensions. Now, we've seen Michael Backlund re-up with the Calgary Flames, and we thought that that, there, that would be sort of a Pied Piper signing or a Magnet signing. Okay, now that Backlund signed and he's a captain, does that mean now that Hannafin signs, that Tanev signs, that Zadorov signs, that the big one, Elias Lindholm, signs as well? But I wonder if the recent woes and the recent stretch of, at best, mediocre play from this Calgary Flames team has kind of hit pause 
on all those negotiations. This is Elliot from the 32 Thoughts podcast that just came out this morning. I thought it would be Hannafin signs and then wait and see. Now I'm not even sure about that. Like Again, like it still could happen. You know, I just had some people say to me around this, I just think that the way this season has started, I just think there's a little bit of uncertainty there now. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is going anywhere good right now. And, you know, I know that it was uncomfortable probably within the organization and it was uncomfortable in the room and it was uncomfortable for everyone in that Calgary Flames room knowing that everyone is playing the who is Nikita Zadorov talking about when he's going public with uh, there are some players that just play for themselves and don't play for the team, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But doesn't it feel like, again, Nikita Zadorov, much like, much like Evander Kane and that scrum, spoke the truth last week. I know a lot of people came out, Ryan Husky came out, Nazem Kadri came out to try to massage that message, and, you know, Zadorov himself um, tried to put a little bit of lipstick on it too, but that sounds very much now like the truth, running right through this organization, courtesy of pending UFA Nikita Zadorov. Those things, it's funny, when a player says that, and then, like you've mentioned on the show, when everybody starts looking around, and you know that players want to go, it's not me. It's not me. I didn't do that. I didn't say that. I have nothing to do with this. I'm working hard. Um, you know that they want yeah. to, but everybody becomes under the microscope. And Blake Coleman had his comments as well. And I know that Calgary is not you know, a destination for a lot of teams. And I'm not saying that disparagingly. Like, that's just kind of the way that it's been. So if you can't keep your guys in-house, well, you better find a way to move the ones that you can while you can. And this is going to, like, it's such a tricky situation here for for Craig Conroy and, and how he goes forward here. Because at what point do you go, okay, enough's enough, now we got to move on from these guys. And then the question becomes, what are you getting back? Because other teams know that you're in a pinch right now. They're, what, do, what do you always say? They're yeah. not going to send you, no GM is sending another GM a life vest. They're sending you an anchor. So what happens now that's with Elliot's. the Calgary Flames? That's Elliot. So that this, that's, and this that's is Elliot. Everyone's everyone, everyone's signing you, sending you an uh, sending you an anvil or an anchor. Yeah, no one's, no one's sending you anything helpful. So I I have a really hard time believe like and it is a small sample size, but if we're worried about them, do you not think that these unrestricted free agents or pending unrestricted free agents rather are looking at this going? Mm, oh, I don't like where this is going either. I, I'm, I'm on the first plane out of here whenever I can. I just wonder what those conversations are like with the general manager and the agent at that point. Elias Elias. So Elias Pedersen, you know, raised uh, a lot of eyebrows in that interview with Elliot Friedman uh, in the boat uh, in Stockholm. Uh, Ray talked about not being ready to sign a contract right now. And we're very much of the belief that Elias Pettersson has taken a wait-and-see approach uh, to see if he can, quote-unquote, win there. Uh, if there's enough there there for the Vancouver Canucks to put together a, a winning team. And so far, by the way, early returns um, say yes. I mean, Quinn Hughes looks great. JT Miller, this is some of the best hockey. You want to have a late bloomer. This is some of the best hockey we've ever seen JT Miller play. Do they have a little bit of a depth issue? Yeah. Do they have a goaltending issue? No. Um, they've got key players at every single position. So right now, the Vancouver Canucks are passing the Elias Pettersson audition. But I don't know that the Calgary Flames 
are passing the Elias Lindholm audition right now. Now, he's the big one. He's the number one center. Uh, A lot of teams would love to have him. Boston Bruins, I'm looking your direction. Boston, by the way, uh, at his draft, uh, tried to move up. I don't think they're even in the first round, but they tried to move up to get him. I know it's a different regime and all that, but once upon a time, the Bruins organization had some significant interest in Lindholm. Uh, Carolina ended up grabbing him in that draft, and I think we all wonder when Boston is going to make their move for a number one center, knowing that they're going to be hunting for one all season long with Bergeron and Krejci, uh, now having retired. Oh, and did I mention that Lindholm's also a right-hand shot? They love those right-hand shot centers in Boston. But anyway, like, I don't know the Calgary is, to your point, I don't know the Calgary's passing that audition. As a matter of fact, they're not. They're not passing the audition for Tanev or for Zadorov or from for Hannafin. So I'm with you. I think nine games in already, it's decision time here or getting close to decision time here for Craig Conroy. Who are we? Can we fix this? What can be done? If nothing, what do we do? Mm-hmm. And and the other thing... And who do we rebuild around? And and the other thing with that too is, you know, you and I had the conversation about all the fights early on and the, you know, the need to win early. It feels like it's now really under the microscope for a team like Calgary. You'd think you'd get 15, 20 games even and you're like, okay, it's already ramped up. Like, you know, not to pardon the pun, but the heat is really on there in Calgary with the Flames. And so that's why... Coming into this year, I really thought that they were going to start with their hair on fire. I really expected them to come out of the I, gate I hard. So and it's just been the complete opposite of what I expected. So now, you know, as we kind of go full circle with the uh, the Winter Classic or the, the Heritage Classic, I have no expectations for anything anymore because apparently I don't know. I have no, I didn't think the Bruins are going to be very good again. That hasn't really worked out very well. Uh, I thought some teams were going to be better yeah. than they have been. That hasn't worked. So I'm just going to watch and enjoy it. That's what I'm going to do, Jeff. So what you're, if I can, if I can understand you correctly, what you're saying is there's a reason they play the games. Like there's yeah. a reason to actually drop the puck and not just listen to you in the preseason and read all of our brilliant predictions at Sportsnet.ca. But mm-hmm. there's a reason to actually play the games. Then, hmm, so it's quite a thought. That's a very <laughs> controversial statement by you. But like, look here, the elephant in the room is this: Jonathan Huberto's got to be better. Yep. If they're going to do anything, Jonathan Huberto has to be better. He's at 10.5 until 2031. Yeah, five points in nine games ain't going to cut it. For those in the back that didn't hear it, that didn't hear it, 10.5 until 2031. If you're looking for someone who needs to be better, okay? Sutter wasn't his cup of tea. Gotcha. Ryan Huska, same results. Now, the other thing that became pretty obvious over this stretch here with the Flames, and we'll see what happens now that he's, his suspension is over and he's coming back, this is a team that really needs Rasmus Anderson in the lineup. Sure do. Like, there's a reason why he was considered uh, captain material for the Calgary Flames, and he's really become obvious statement number 8 million for me, an important player for the Calgary Flames, almost like a, a, a player that is so integral to the success of this team that it that, that it's almost laughable. He's become fantastic uh, and such an important piece for this Calgary Flame squad. Um, anything else from the uh, the Heritage Classic that you feel like pointing out before we move on? No, Not we're good. Leaving anything on the table here? No, we're good. For you, or have you squeezed every drop out of the towel? Um, bravo. Oh, I know one, one thing. You know what I didn't like? And I'll, and I'll tell you why. So the Leon Dreisaitl penalty. 
Okay. Okay. So he where he doesn't 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 let go of the stick after. Like I understand why that is a call because you don't want players skating around with broken sticks. Like these are weapons. I look at that situation and Dreisaitl breaks his stick along the boards and he's skating to go off. And instead of throwing it on the ice where someone could, I don't know, step on it, he just takes it and goes off with it. I think that's a lot safer. I know that technically it's a penalty, but if you're an official, can you not look at that and say, yeah, you know what? It's probably better that he just takes the stick off the ice. I mean, yes, but was Leon Dreisaitl worried about the warranty or something? Like, just leave it. It's not, you know, you're not a kid. Just throw, just, you know, the rule. Like, I, I, I get what no, you're he's saying. Going off. I know. I get what he's you're going saying. Off. I get what you're saying. And that's why, I mean, there is a little bit of flexibility with the rule book sometimes. Like some, not everything has to be like, it's this or that. Like sometimes there is a gray area. And in this case, yeah. I kind I mean, Jeff, you know, I don't like to agree with you, but I kind of agree with you in, you know, in this moment. I will agree with you and say yeah. that's that's a ridiculous penalty to call. It feels like a, you know, look at me type penalty call. But, hey, what do I know? All right. Um, so that was the Heritage Classic. Uh, looked great, um, even though, to Maddie's point, it's not 100% hockey. It's never going to be when, the, uh, when all the elements aren't controlled. But a really entertaining event. Um, congratulations to the Edmonton Oilers. And now the questions once again begin for the Calgary Flames. Um, the other big story of the weekend is a tragic one, and that is the passing of Adam Johnson, uh, who died after getting uh, skate to the throat in a Nottingham-Sheffield game in the Elite Ice Hockey League in England. We offer our condolences to the friends and the family and the teammates of Adam Johnson, the entire Nottingham Panthers organization, and that entire league. Um, and I also think about Matt Petgrave, um, who was the player who accident, whose skate accidentally caught um, Adam Johnson in the throat. What Matt Petgrave is carrying right now and may have to carry depending on what type of support and therapy and whatever he ends up getting here, he's going to be carrying this for a, a long, long time and, and it has to feel awful. Um, I hope that he is able to find peace uh, with himself through all of this. Um, but it has raised the question of mandatory neck guards. Now, let me... Um, was texting with a player last night and this morning. Let me, um, let me read this to you. So, do, 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 do. so I sent this player a note last night. Um... Why are guys so hesitant to wear any kind of neck protection? We all know that whenever there's a new piece of equipment that's introduced, whether it's you know helmets um, uh, after the Bill Masterton tragedy, whether it's visors, whether it's anything, players push back, nope, not going to do it. You can't tell us what to do. This is what this player writes back. And again, this is, I get it. It's only one player. Um. He says, for some it's uncomfortable, others might be a cool thing. For me, it was just learned behavior. Once you're no longer mandated, it's out of sight, out of mind. Uh, I wore one for a couple of months after I got stitches on my throat. Then after the season ended, I just didn't anymore. It wasn't a conscious decision. 
I just never thought to do it. I wonder if only the way this is going to happen, some type of mandatory neck guard, and I'll tell you why I think it's important, other than the obvious, to try to save lives. We've all seen Richard Zednick and the horrible Clint Malarchuk, Steve Tuttle incidents back in that Buffalo-St. Louis game. Um, I think maybe the only way you're going to get this done through the Players Association, who will push back, uh, is to have it grandfathered in. Not unlike visors, right? Not unlike helmets. This might be the only way that that this happens. Um, And the reason that I think it's important to do, one, obviously to protect players. Clinton Malarchuk, Richard Zednak, and now the tragedy that is the Adam Johnson situation. Does it happen often? No. Of course it doesn't happen often, thankfully. We have seen players' wrists slashed. We've seen ankles slashed. Anywhere there's exposed skin, it's really dangerous, obviously. And I think those areas, uh, those areas of the body need to be protected. But one of the reasons why I think that this needs to be a serious conversation, and I hope that this part of the conversation is taken seriously and is part of the conversation and when this conversation is being had at the NHL, the NHL Players Association and with equipment manufacturers as well is, Maddie, I got a lot of direct messages and I got some tweets as well from people who were at the game Mm. who had to see that. And we talk about what Matt Petgrave is going through. And again, I hope he finds support and peace and what uh, Adam Johnson's family is going through and his friends are going through and teammates are going through. But also the fans at the game had to watch that. Yeah. And I think the quest, one of the questions you ask yourself is, even though it's so infrequent that it happens, do you want your fans to see that? You know, we think of Brittany Cecil in that Columbus game with the Epson Knutson shot that hit her at Nationwide Arena and killed her. And right after we started, they, the NHL mandated nets behind, uh, behind the behind the nets above the glass, and that changed profoundly. Those are the Brittany Cecil nets that exist to this day and will forever exist to protect fans. I think we also need to protect fans from seeing that again. All those fans that were at the Nottingham Sheffield game saw someone die in a hockey game from a skate to the throat. And I hope in the conversation about neck protection that fans have a voice in it because nobody goes to a hockey game and wants to see anything like that. Are there injuries in hockey? Yes. Is it dangerous? Yes. People come to see hits knowing that the effects could be devastating. But that is part of the game. This isn't. And athletes need to be protected. And their families need to be protected from having this happen to their loved ones. And fans need to be protected from having to watch that. I watched the video yesterday and it's horrifying. I would encourage anyone right now listening, if you haven't seen the video, don't. It's awful. It's terrible. Maddie, I don't know if you've watched it, but it's it's one of the worst things I've ever seen. It's terrible. 
and getting messages from people that were in attendance, I can't help but thinking to myself, we can't, even though it is a freak injury and a freak accident, we can't allow that to happen at hockey games anywhere. Youth hockey, minor hockey, um, junior. I know that they're not mandated in the United States, but if there can be at least some type of movement now that Adam Johnson has passed away to make neck guards and neck protection and significant cut-resistant neck protection mandatory, it's clearly time because now there's a body count. Condolences to Adam Johnson's family, his friends, the Nottingham Panthers, um, the, not just the organization, but the entire hockey league and to hockey fans everywhere. And I hope this is a conversation that's taken seriously. And again, I hope that fans' eyeballs and their brains and what they had to watch during that game are taken into the conversation. With that, we'll hit a pause. Uh, more on the Merrick Show, talking about the New York Rangers in a couple of moments. More on the Oilers' top of the hour and the New Jersey Devils and everything that was around the weekend. We should park some time to talk about Joe Thornton as well, calling it a career officially. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Still to come on the program, we'll talk about that Oilers win yesterday at the Heritage Classic 5-2 over the Calgary Flames. Mark Spector from Sportsnet.ca will stop by. Also, we'll get on the New Jersey Devils page. Devils writer for NewJersey.com, Ryan Novozinski will stop by. Meanwhile, the other New York team making headlines. They may never lose another game again. They are the New York Rangers, and they are ripping into Canada, whether it's Calgary, whether it's Edmonton, as we saw Saturday, Vancouver, and maybe tonight against Winnipeg Jets as well. 7.30 Eastern on Sportsnet 1 is the New York Rangers facing off against the Winnipeg Jets. And Vince Mercogliano, Ranger reporter for USA Today, I cannot think of any storylines going into this one. Can you? Uh, No, nothing's really coming to mind, Jeff. It's going to maybe be a boring game, I think. Yeah, nothing like a returning captain, founding player, nothing like a controversial exit, see taken off the sweater, returns to Manitoba. Nothing like that's going on today. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, the, I can't um, think of anything. Return to Blake Wheeler. Be a... Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, humdrum, humdrum pedest- very pedestrian game, very nice, polite three to two score, so no one gets really offended, no one gets blown out. And uh, everyone can go home with their dignity. Maybe each team grabs a point. Who knows? Um, how's Blake? Well, we'll talk about a little bit later on what this means for the for Wheeler returning to Winnipeg. But um, I know you just got back from Vancouver. Uh, your thoughts on what Wheeler has meant to this New York Ranger team? And he may be on the biggest bargain contract with the Rangers than anybody else in the entire NHL. Your thoughts on Blake Wheeler with the Rangers so far? It was interesting. I sat with him at, at his locker the other day in Vancouver because I was working on something else. I had a separate set of questions for him. But at the end, just as we were kind of catching up a little bit, I said to him, so are you getting excited? Are you anxious? Like, How are you feeling about the return to Winnipeg? 
he looked at me with this little sly smile and he goes, Oh, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. He, he did not seem to hide at all how much this game is going to mean something extra to him. He said, he's got a lot of family flying in for the game. So he's definitely going to have some nice. people there to support him in attendance. You know, he, the, the ties there are very strong, obviously what he spent about 15 years in Winnipeg or yep. something close to that. he, he was telling me that the, the feeling there, that small-town feel where he would look into the stands and he would recognize his kid's pediatrician or his dentist or his kid's teacher, <laughs> just all these people that they knew in the community, yeah. and he, that really seemed to mean a lot to him, That just feeling like he knew exactly who, who he was playing for when he was there. Now, as far as his exit and the buyout and all that, He's been pretty, yeah. you know, definitely not controversial at all with that. He said, listen, it's part of the business. I had a feeling that it might be coming. I have no ill will toward them whatsoever. So I don't think you're going to hear him come out and say anything negative about the Jets organization in that regard. But as far as him wanting mm -hmm. to play well, him wanting to have a big night, I certainly think there, there's that feeling that, that he's not being shy about letting us know that, that that's prevalent on his mind right now. And his fit with the Rangers so far – I, I'd say the first five or six games was definitely a slow start for him. It just seems like, mm -hmm. you know, some people, I know fans are reacting already and talking about the age thing. And that, that's a factor. You can't discount this guy's 37 years old. He can't beat guys with his skating the way that he did earlier on in his career. And so I think we're all curious to see how does he adapt? How does he adjust? Obviously there was a reason he got bought out in Winnipeg at the end, but the last couple games have been better. I thought, especially that game in Edmonton, he had some scoring chances, definitely put some pucks on net. He had the primary assist on that yeah. Will Cooley goal, the kicking motion that they ended up overturning. Uh, we could debate whether that should have stood or not, but I, there have been signs that it's getting better recently. It hasn't been great, but it's been better recently. Top team in the Metropolitan. Like We looked at the beginning of the season, the Metropolitan and said, okay, this is going to be the, the race between, once again, the Carolina Hurricanes and the New Jersey Devils. Um, New Jersey with 11 points, Carolina with 10. We all suspect that, you know, Carolina have now won two games in a row, you know, are going to really course correct and, and go on something major here. But the Rangers are hanging right in. So how have they done it? Like, it's not as if, you know, Shesterkin's putting up a, you know, 935 save percentage here. Uh, but Panarin's been real good. Um, Chris Kreider scoring power play goals. This is a recording. And some guy by the name of Lafreniere has a very Cy Young stat line of four goals and zero assists. Uh, your thoughts on any, on our, our Tammy Panarin has bounced back as well. Your thoughts on any of these or wherever you want to go, Vince Mercogliano? Yeah, so it's been, it's been really interesting. They've had a few games where they certainly were clicking on all cylinders. To begin the road trip in Seattle was probably the best, most complete game that they've played all season. That is now the standard some of the guys have talked about. That's what they're trying to emulate every single night. Since then, they've still been winning, but the games have been sloppier in some regards. The games have nearly been as pretty as that. The one thing that stood out to me, you touched on the goaltending. The goaltending has been good. Igor, I thought, was really good the other night in Vancouver. Jonathan Quick has, what, like a .4 goals against average right now. So the goaltending has been good. The special teams have been really good. The power play in particular, I think it's seven out of their first eight games, they've gotten at least one power play goal. So that has certainly helped them pull some of these games out, especially in Vancouver the other night where it seemed like it was power play for one team or the other the entire third period. But I think the, the, the thing as far as LaViolette is concerned and his impact on the roster that stood out to me the most is defensively at five on five, 
the Rangers had a lot of issues the last couple seasons. The goalie, uh, we know, got them out of a lot of those situations and, and made it probably look better than it was. But the turnovers that would fuel odd man rushes going the other way, I, I looked up this stat this morning. Last season, the Rangers ranked second in the league, second worst in the league in giveaways per game. They averaged 10 giveaways per game. This year, they are best in the league at about 4.3 giveaways per game. So they've cut down these turnovers. They're not giving up nearly as many odd man rushes going the other way. The D zone coverage has been better. And what's really stood out to me is the forechecking system that LaViolette has implemented. I I won't go too deep into the weeds, but we've talked about this 1-3-1 that they play where they really sit back and clog up the neutral zone and make it difficult for teams to pick up speed and transition. That's worked really well. But uh, talking to some of the players and just observing, you also notice there are times when they send a second forward up ahead into the offensive zone to press a little bit more on the forecheck. And so different situations call for different defensive schemes. And we're seeing the Rangers really adapt to the system. And defensively, they've tightened things up. I mean, across the board, shots against, goals against, odd man rushes against. They're better in all of those categories. So defensively, they've been really good. The one thing that they still Mm -hmm. need to unlock is the five-on-five offense. That, to me, has lagged behind, and I know that that's been a point that LaViolette is stressing with them as well. But you can't argue with the results, six and two through eight games. You know, this sounds, like we've seen this before from Peter LaViolette, but this sounds specifically like LaViolette taking over from Barry Trotz in Nashville. And there was one player, I remember talking to someone in the organization about this specifically, there was one player that was impacted by it right away and had a really hard time with it. And it's kind of surprising, but it was Pecorine. And Pecorine under Barry Trotz. Like Barry Trotz was happy to allow, to allow uh, a lot of shots on Pecorine from very safe places. Uh, the thinking always was, let your goaltender, you know, feel the puck, get into the game, you know, get a feel for things. Laviolette comes in and even shuts that down. Like, the big premium was, to your point, uh, fewer turnovers leading to scoring chances and shots on goal, um, shot suppression in the defensive zone, etc. Like, nothing was getting at Rene. Like, he would have single-digit shots in the first period to start off the game. The thing that Rene complained about to people was he didn't get a feel for the puck, and he had a hard time getting in the game. And I'm hearing you talk about what Laviolette here is, is doing with the Rangers, and it kind of sounds like the same thing. Like, it's all for the, like for the common good and going in, in, one very great, uh, in one very great direction. But, you know, with Pekka Rene having a hard time with their goalies like that, I wonder what this does to Igor Shosturkin. To the best of your knowledge, does he like, you know, 12 or 13 shots in the first period so he can get into the game or maybe 15 shots? Or... Does he like it better this way? Do we know? Yeah, no, all goalies, I think, like to see some early, relatively easy shots to get into rhythm. He, he's talked about that before. But to me, his mindset this year seems different from what we saw last year. I think last year, coming off the Vesna Trophy, he put a lot of pressure on himself to live up to the, that very, very high standard. I mean, I don't think anybody is going to have a 935 sure. save percentage year after year. And so when the results weren't going his way early in the season, at least in his mind, weren't up to the expectations, he really beat himself up. The frustration was showing in the locker room. He was sitting at his locker alone a lot on the ice during practice, slamming sticks on the crossbar. Just you could tell that he was on edge for a lot of last season. This year, to me, I think the biggest thing with him has been mentally 
being able to turn the page, not harping on things too much. And he just looks like he's having more fun, like during training camp and in the early portion of this season. So he's so good that I think whether he's seeing a lot of shots and he's getting in rhythm that way, or he's seeing fewer shots, you're going to trust that he's going to be able to make some big saves for you. He made a lot of them in Vancouver the other night. To me, the biggest thing is, you know, mentally the growth that he's talked about experiencing last season and and maybe not being so hard on himself this season. And maybe if he has a game that he's not crazy about being able to turn the page a little bit more, I think that's a really big thing to watch Mm -hmm. with him because if this guy's feeling good about himself for the full 82 game season, we know he's not going to play all of them, but he's going to be in the Vesna trophy conversation. He's certainly one of the best goalies in the league. He looked really sharp all throughout camp. I think he's been pretty good early on this season. So, as far as the system goes, I think there's no complaints from him. He's he talked a lot about how many shots are being blocked in front of him and being thankful for that. So I think he's happy to see fewer shots, especially because that ultimately helped the Rangers win more games. 12 points in eight games for Artemi Panarin. Uh, there has to be more than just, well, he shaved his head, dummy, so he's turned things around <laughs> here. What is it about Panarin? What is it about Panarin this year? He's To me, he just looks like his old self. He's playing more freely. I think when we've seen him get into these ruts, particularly in the playoffs, the puck just isn't on his stick very much. He looks passive. He's not being that dynamic playmaker that has made him what he is in this league. And I think part of that was feeling like when he plays that high-risk brand of hockey, he's prone to turnovers. And I know that under Gerard Gallant, cutting down on those turnovers was a big point of emphasis in the playoffs. And I think that just led to him not feeling like he could completely open it up. Now, LaViolette has stressed cutting down on the turnovers as well. But LaViolette is also, I think, putting him in better positions for success. And what I mean by that is he's moved Panarin onto this line with the two young guys, Philip Heedle and Alexi Lafreniere. You touched on Lafreniere. He is playing, in my mind, the best hockey, I think, especially offensively, the best hockey that I've seen him play since he's been in the league and what he's done with that group, he's not excusing them of defensive responsibility, but I, last I had checked that, that line was out there for one defensive zone draw so far this season. They're being used almost exclusively in offensive situations. And what I think is interesting about that is it's playing to the strength of those guys. It's saying, listen, your role at five on five is to go out there and produce your role. is to score. And so with that now being the mindset that a guy like Panarin is taking, I think you're seeing him having a lot of fun playing more freely, making those dynamic kind of passes. His passing ability is really what makes him special. You're seeing him do that willingly. And I also think we're seeing him more aggressive when he has an opportunity to shoot. I think a lot of times he would be the leader of the pack as far as that making one too many passes kind of mindset that this team has been guilty of in the past, but he's shooting when he has the opportunity to shoot. He's setting guys up using his, his dynamic vision in the situations where he has the opportunity to do that. And he's on a line right now where the the clear responsibility is, listen, you guys, we're not going to throw you out into a ton of defensive situations. We're going to put you out there in offensive situations and your job is to score. And I think Panarin, that's probably music to his ears. Uh, with Vince Bercogliano from USA Today talking about the New York Rangers, one of nine games on the board this evening, the Rangers facing off against the Winnipeg Jets. Let me ask you a question. 
Let me ask you about the Metropolitan Division itself. Uh, Rangers are on top right now with 12 points. Um, and behind them, the New Jersey Devils and the Carolina Hurricanes, who have won a pair. The New York Islanders, who just refuse to die. Uh, they'll get older, but they will never die. They will never surrender. And their goaltenders... I mean, when you look at what uh, Sorokin and, and Varlamov have been able to do, and Varlamov against Columbus was so good, and Sorokin's been so good all season, um, they're always in a game. Uh, and then the Philadelphia Flyers, who have played you know, much better than many expected, although a tough loss against Anaheim on the weekend. Capitals all of a sudden have strung together a couple of wins as well. Uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets are still a work in progress, and I don't know that anybody knows what's going to become of the Pittsburgh Penguins. How do you look at this division? To me, it might be the most fascinating division in the entire NHL. How do you read the Metro? To me, it feels a little more top-heavy than it has in recent seasons. I, of course, anything can happen over the course of 82, but the Rangers, the Hurricanes, and the Devils are, I think, a class above the rest of the division, and I think that those three teams will ultimately probably be duking it out for those top three spots. That's what I predicted in the preseason, and I don't have any reason, I don't think, at this point to, to change that. So I think that those are the three real contenders if you're talking about teams that are capable of winning a Stanley Cup out of this division. The division definitely has three of them. After that, you know, Philly, they're off to a nice start, but is it sustainable? I'm not so sure. The Islanders could definitely scratch yeah. and claw and scrap their way to a playoff spot. I-, I thought Pittsburgh was going to be in that category too, and I think a lot of times we've seen them kind of come on strong later, so Pittsburgh I wouldn't count out at this point. To me, Washington seems to be sort of dipping their toe into maybe a little bit of a rebuild category. Columbus has had some struggles, so Ultimately, I think the toughest matchups for the Rangers are going to be Carolina and New Jersey. Obviously, New Jersey coming off of the playoff series last year, that matchup is going to get a lot of hype. Mm -hmm. And I'm very curious to see how, under this new Laviolette system, they're able to adapt to the Devils, who really seem to outskill and outskate them as that series went on in the playoffs last year, that fast brand of hockey that the Devils play. The Rangers weren't able to keep up last year, and now the question is, can the Rangers keep up and or can the Rangers slow them down with the system the Laviolette has put in place? So to me, it's still Hurricanes, Rangers, and Devils are the heavy hitters. And then you're curious to see who might end up sneaking into that fourth spot and, and get into the playoffs. Let me ask you one final question about the New Jersey Devils, and I'll preface it this way. The Calgary Flames have not been the same team at all. Jacob Marshall hasn't been the same goalie at all since they lost to the Edmonton Oilers in the playoffs two years ago. Um, will there be any effects of the loss at the hands of the New Jersey Devils to the New York Rangers at all? I'm not saying it's going to be like we talk about how Edmonton broke Calgary, but is there any cascading effect coming back, going back to last year's loss at the hands of the New Jersey Devils? I mean, Jack Hughes telling me and Elliot at the Vegas uh, NHL Players Tour, it felt like our Stanley Cup. Any cascading effect from that one, or is it new season, blank the memory, men in black, see ya, we're looking forward to the playoffs this year? Well, that that's the thing here, Jeff. If you think about this first matchup that they have coming up in a couple of weeks here in early November, I think that's really going to set the tone for how this rivalry is going to be perceived this season. Because... 
And as I mentioned, those last five games of that playoff series, it looked like the Rangers did not have an answer for the speed and skill that was coming in waves at them from the Devils. The Devils just seemed to kind of run them out of the building as that series went on. And if this first matchup coming up in a couple of weeks, if the Devils once again beat them by multiple goals and look, and the Rangers look like they can't keep up and, and this 1-3-1 that Laviolette has implemented isn't doing enough to shut yeah. them down, well, well, then the chatter about, hey, the Rangers, the Devils are a bad matchup for the Rangers. Well, that's just going to heighten. But if the Rangers come out and they compete well and, and they you know win the game or at least keep it close and it's a really competitive game, then all of a sudden you start to be like, okay, you know these guys aren't invincible. Maybe over the course of the season, as we get more familiar with the system, we're going to be well equipped to handle them in that kind of matchup. But I think it's going to be interesting because it looked like a bad matchup for the Rangers in the playoffs last year. And if they don't look so good against them in the regular season, then that's only going to make that sort of mental side of this where you're wondering – can they keep up with the Devils, or are the de- Devils just too skilled for them? That would then only get louder over the course of the season. So I think as far as a regular season meeting goes, this first matchup is going to be a pretty big one. Looking forward to that one, and looking forward to the game tonight against the Winnipeg Jets, the return of Blake Wheeler to Manitoba. Vince, you're the best, pal. Thanks uh, so much, as always. I'll check back regular. Thanks, pal. Yep, thanks, Jeff. Vince Bracogliano, uh, Rangers reporter for USA Today, uh, joining here uh, to talk about the New York Rangers. Time now, one of nine games on the board this evening. Time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local, Matt Marchese. As I mentioned, nine games uh, around the NHL this evening. Mondays generally aren't that busy, mm-hmm. but not so tonight. Yeah. Uh, a lot of games to watch. What are you curious about? Panthers at Bruins, the rematch of last year's Ooh. first round exit for the Bruins uh, at the hands of said Panthers. Uh, puck line is uh, minus one and a half Bruins. Uh, the road team is five and one in the last six meetings. The over is five and one in the last six games in Boston. And the over is four and in the last four meetings overall. Sam Bennett might make his season debut tonight, according to head coach Paul big. Maurice. That's huge. I wonder, and we may not get an answer for this maybe until the career is all wrapped up because I'm sure Brad Marchand will say, nah, I don't think about it for a second. I wonder how much in game five that Bobrovsky save on Marchand on the breakaway right before overtime, which would have given the Boston Bruins a victory in the series, and then they would have moved on to face off against the Toronto Maple Leafs. I wonder how much that haunts him. I really, I know it's a tiny little thing, but I'm fascinated by these moments and how history would have changed if Brad Marchand scores that goal. Like of all the players, maybe David Pasternak is the only other one you would want the puck on his stick at that moment. Would have given the Bruins a victory in the series, and they would have moved on. If it's not, if it's not Dave Pasternak, you want it on Brad Marchand's stick. But Bobrovsky makes the pad save. And the rest, as they say, is history. As Maddie mentions, it's a rematch tonight. The Florida Panthers facing off against the Boston Bruins. That was Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Nine games on the board tonight. We'll get to them in a couple of moments. But first, Mark Spector looking back at the Heritage Classic from last night. Across the Sportsnet Radio Network, Merrick Show continues. Simulcast right here on Sportsnet 360. Hour two coming up. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
for Jeff Merrick's Random Hockey Fact of the Day. Of the day, of the day, of the day. And uh, 2003, 57,000 fans taking in the first Heritage Classic. Habs beat the Oilers 4-3. to three. Minus 18 degrees with a wind chill, dash 30. Ouch. Now, this game itself was based on the Cold War outdoor game, Michigan versus Michigan State, October 6, 2001 at Spartan Stadium, 74,000. Took in that one. It was a 3-3 tie. Mike Camilleri with two goals and one assist for Michigan. Duncan Keith, Jim Slater, Ryan Miller, John Michael Lyles from Michigan State. Mike Komisarek, Jed Ortmeyer would have been on that Michigan team as well. Coached by the legendary Red Berenson. Should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Discuss amongst yourselves. Anyhow, um, unlike yesterday, the game back in 2003 was for rigid. And for today's, uh, for today's random fact, it revolves around how cold that game was. Uh, George Rock told me years ago that it was so cold that both teams got together before the game and came up with an agreement. Much like they have no hitters in baseball, let's have a no hitter in hockey. Boys, it's too cold to hit one another, so let's not. And that was the agreement between the Edmonton Oilers Montreal Canadiens. Good to see Big George out there yesterday. That is your random fact, random hockey fact of the day. I wonder what's the fewest amount of hits a hockey game's ever had since they started keeping that stat. I'm guessing it didn't involve the New York Islanders because every time someone from the New York Islanders looks at an opponent, they get credit for at least two hits. I say that tongue-in-cheek. Those who know know what I'm talking about. Someone who's always in the know is Mark Spector, senior columnist from Sportsnet.ca. Hello, Spec. How are you? Whoa, pretty good. Jeff, how are you doing, man? Uh, good. A little bit warmer than it was back in 2003 yesterday? Yes, it was very pleasant yesterday, although I will admit to spending both of them primarily in a warm press box, so you're asking the wrong guy, but... Uh, <laughs> it was but a lot nicer you, you yesterday saw... for the fans. <laughs> you you saw the, uh, the the teeth chattering out there and the uh, the steam coming off the foreheads and you know I, I always I'll tell you what in, in situations like that I always do wonder about the beer and how quickly the beer freezes for people that are in the stands and how much that encourages people to drink beer faster, Mark Spector, as if they, as if hockey fans needed any reason to drink their beer faster. I guess that would have been the case back in, in 2003. What are your memories of that game, by the way, that Montreal Edmonton game, the one that sort of kicked off all the, uh, the outdoor events in the NHL? Well, my memory was, I mean, varied. Red Fisher bringing a bottle of Chivas Regal into the press box and leaving it out for everyone to drop <laughs> by his seat to have a drink. <laughs> yeah. Today, I don't think I could get a bottle of Chivas Regal into the stadium. The security would confiscate it. Um, yes. You know, there was a lot of angst with the cold weather in, in 2003. It was getting too cold, right? It was to the point where we were worried about the ice and worried about the players and uh, then the old-timers all went out and played, and all the young players said, well, we can't not play if they played. We'll look like a real bunch of softies. So uh, it was a different vibe. Yeah. No one, I guess my point would be this, Jeff. Yesterday, we knew what we were going to get. The NHL so slick at putting these things on now. They can do it in Lake Tahoe yeah. to Dodger Stadium to wherever. 
Whereas back then in 2003, there was an element of, man, I hope they pull this thing off. Yeah. You know, I'm curious about, you know, when the game took place as well. I'm not a big fan of having the Winter Classic games at night. I do like the late afternoon, just as far as a visual. Um, what did you think of, of the timing of the game last night? Well, uh, here, I here's what I know is the only thing that can screw these games up is rain and weird sunlight, like too much sun, glare, right? Yeah. So the reason they go at 5 o'clock in Edmonton is that the sun is behind the stands and there's no – they can at least eliminate one of the two things that they can't control. So I know why they do it. You know, listen, I'm an Edmontonian, Right. And here's the one that always got us. Back in the day when the Elks or the Eskimos were good and they were playing in Western Finals, they'd play the game out East early and then they'd play the game out West late and you'd always say, why aren't they playing at noon out here? It's about 10 degrees warmer and they never did. So (laughs) they, you know what, it's about TV a lot more than it's about the poor guy that pays his money to go sit in the stands. I think we all know that. Yeah. Uh, well, the the poor guy that sat in the stands yesterday, if they're an Edmonton Oilers fan, uh, they got their money's worth. If they're a Calgary Flames fan, uh, they go home with more questions than when they came. Someone was going to win this game. Uh, as you know, Speck, these two teams <laughs> limped into the into the Heritage Classic. It helps that Connor McDavid uh, rejoined, and it seemed as if this was a much different Oilers team. Uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl, you know, finding each other. Like The, the way these two find seams is, is, to me, endlessly fascinating. It's such a, a wonderful thing to watch. Stuart Skinner was excellent. You know, Evander Kane had a really good game, and he needed to have a really good game. Uh, was very entertaining in the scrums. Is anyone here going to do anything? No, no one here is going to do anything. Um, and if <laughs> yeah, anyone was, yeah. Evander Kane, I, I thought that was hilarious. Like, I just I just loved it. Um, what did you make? We'll get to the Flames in a second. What did you make of the Oilers play yesterday anything stand out for you other than maybe vincent deharnay skipping rocks to score his first career nhl goal <laughs> what a strange uh, you know only on outdoor ice <laughs> would you see a hop like that i mean that's like a, a 48 foot curveball that that you know comes in for a perfect yeah. strike after one hop it was crazy um what did I think about the Oilers? You know, I, I think it was best summed up by Jay Woodcroft after the game when he said, we look like us. And that's the first time, other than one game in Nashville this year, where the Oilers looked like, you know, it, I'm never going to tell you that they'll win the Stanley Cup. I don't make that prediction right now. But they should be a Stanley Cup contender. They're a, a pedigree of players on that roster that they should be, you know, they're a good team. they got a good roster. And a 3-2 lead after two periods shouldn't result in panicky, skittish play with a a bunch of zone time for the other team. You should be able to handle that. You should know how to play under those circumstances. Last night, for the first time, they did. Uh, They were calm. They were patient. They took advantage of their chances. Uh, When they did get pinned in their own zone, it wasn't chaos. It was fairly methodical. They had goaltending. You know, they looked like a team with a... The top to bottom, not a perfect roster, but a pretty good roster, and they played like that yesterday. Uh, thoughts on the return of McDavid? I know expectations are always high, but it seemed as if 
And oh, it was about a cozy five minutes ago. We were just finding out that he was injured and was going to be one of two weeks. And, you know, I was making the joke all week. They need to send him to Lourdes to bathe in holy water to heal what ails him and get him in, uh, get him at Commonwealth for the Heritage game on Sunday. Uh, what did you make of McDavid's play on Sunday? Well, he was, you know, as always, very good. He had one assist in the game and I think three shots. Um, I mean, he's just, you know, even coming off injury, he's, he's certainly the fastest player on the ice. He had numerous chances. Uh, but more so, you know, more so when you get your best player back and, and your best player is the best player, like it really makes everybody else, you know, six inches taller, right? It makes your team that much more confident. Um, it it's, brings back a sense of normalcy. Whenever this team plays without McDavid now, there's a they're a little herky-jerky. Who's going to be our McDavid tonight? Well, we don't have one. Well, I'd like to be him. Well, you can't be him because you're not, you know, yeah. it, it's hard. It, <laughs> it, when you have the best player in the world and he's not there, you're disjointed and you're not right. So they were right yesterday. They played like, again, they looked like the Edmonton Oilers. And, you know, you look at the score sheet. McDavid didn't dominate the score sheet. But uh, if you're not telling me that having him on the ice yesterday didn't make the Oilers a much better team, I think you're mistaken. Tell you what, Evander Kane dominated the score sheet yesterday. One plus two, almost had the uh, the Vincent DeHarnay goal on the, on the tip. We all thought it was Kane's. Um, we talk about players that needed to have a big stage game, a big stage good game. That was Evander Kane yesterday. Your thoughts, Mark Spector? Yeah, I, you know, whenever you have a player on your team that's a, supposed to be a leader and one of your better players, you know, when McDavid went out, Kane had played five pretty anonymous hockey games in the season for Edmonton, and the Oilers needed some people to start playing better. They needed leadership, and they needed guys to step up. You know, what do they say? Next man up. It's an old cliche. And yeah. Vander Kane has strung together uh, three excellent hockey games. He's been... You know, a very, very good player, a dominant player. He's had a couple fights. He's had some goals. He's had some assists. He's really hitting hard in the forecheck. I mean, Chris Tanev is not walking right today, I guarantee you, after that hit from Kane yesterday. It was a oh, wicked, yeah. wicked body check. Um, yeah. You know, that's what you want your leaders to do. I mean, and Evander Kane's a leader. He's a, you know, he's a different cat. We know it. Like, he's... He's overt. He's got big personality. He likes to chirp. Uh, but all of that stuff is great when you're productive and you're a really good player, and that's what he's been lately. Okay, I'm going to try to get you in trouble here, Speck. Let me see if I let me see if I can steer you in this. Let me see if I can steer you in this direction here. So um, there are some who believe that the Edmonton Oilers broke the Calgary Flames with their playoff win in 2022. And the evidence before us since then hmm. kind of, I don't know if confirms is too strong a term, but for those that believe that that's true, yesterday afternoon at Commonwealth was another log on the fire. I will ask you, did the Oilers break the Flames <laughs> back in the playoffs in 2022? Well, I, I, no, I'm not going to go that far. I, I'll say this. You know, there's there's 78 other games in the season the Flames have to play that don't involve playing the Oilers, and they got to figure out how to play those games. Uh, if the question is, do the do the Flames look themselves in the mirror and say, you know, no matter what we do here, if we have to go through Edmonton, we can't beat them. 
I'm not sure they're not saying that. You know, the team, the Oilers have absolutely no fear going up against Jacob Markstrom. I can tell you that for sure. Uh, the Oilers know yeah. and believe they're a better team than Calgary. They have the two best players on the ice every single time they play Calgary. They know that, and Calgary knows that. Uh, you know, it, it is one of those things where if you're Calgary, you say, I don't think we, I don't think Calgary thinks they can get past the Oilers in the playoff series. I really don't. But that doesn't mean that that's how they run their life. They got to make the playoffs first, and they got to do that by beating everybody else. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a, I think it's a probably a mental block that they'll cross when they get to it, if they get to it. So I'm not going to say the orders have them broken. They got to fix themselves against the rest of the league. But I will say to you that when the time comes that we ever get another battle of Alberta, and I sure hope we do, uh, the yeah. Calgary Flames are going to have to lay down on the couch and convince themselves they can win that series before they convince anybody else. Uh, do you have a thought on, on what could be, I mean, the elephant in the room is the, the play of Jonathan Huberto, but uh, do you have a, a thought on what the problem with Calgary is? You know, Nikita Zadorov last week, um, in a real moment of honesty, said, look, okay, uh, we didn't like the, the tough coach, and he's gone now, and so what's our excuse this time around? There are some guys that play more for themselves in the team, et cetera, et cetera. I'm uh, paraphrasing mm-hmm. Zadorov, but I think, you know, the, the point that I'm trying to make here based on what he said um, do you have a thought on what is ailing the Calgary Flames? Because you look at the team on paper and say to yourself, there's a better team here than we're seeing. Yeah, yeah I went down. I went up and down the lineup with Eric Francis as we sat during a commercial break last night and pointed to players and said, you know, that guy's a top-line player. That guy's a good second-line player. They, you know, it, Michael Backlund has spent a career in Calgary as a second-line center on a really good team, he's centering an awesome third line, yeah. in my opinion. Right? Yep. He's always played up over his head. No fault of Michael Backlund, who is an excellent player. But that's the situation. Uh, I think I, I would say that it has to start. Every team has to, you know, every guy needs to find their niche in a roster. And look, all the teams have a guy playing above where he should be. Everybody has a third liner on the second line or a second liner on the first liner. I mean, that's just the nature of the cap. But it has to start in Calgary with the top guys being the best players. You know, Kadri uh, uh, Huberdo is a first-line player. And he's got to play like one. Yeah. He's got to pull more of the rope than Dylan Dubé is being asked to pull. Uh, Lindholm, who is, a, in my opinion, a fantastic player, and he's maybe their best player. He's got to be their first-line centerman. If him and Huberdeau can't play together, those are two of their few first-line players. Kadri's a second-line center, right? In my opinion, he says he's a real mm-hmm. good second-line center. So uh, you got to get guys slotted where they're supposed to be, and then they have to produce as they are expected and paid to produce. And and that you know when Markstrom had a terrible year last year, he's your high price starting goalie, you can't give you that year. You're not going to win. If Huberdeau doesn't play like a first-line player, you can't win. If Lindholm doesn't produce like a first-line center, you can't win. And that's where the Oilers get them because you could say, you know, we'll all find holes in the Oilers roster, and I can as much as anyone. But I'll tell you this, their top guys are their top guys. And when they play Calgary, their top guys beat the heck out of Calgary's top guys. 
So let me conclude then with this question, Spec. Uh, let's say that this isn't, um, to use a financial phrase, a dead cat mm. bounce out of the Edmonton Oilers. And this is realistically the Edmonton Oilers turning their season around and the new direction <laughs> and McDavid's back. And, and here we go. We're going to be the Oilers that we all yeah. uh, thought we were yeah. going to see. Good story. Does, I, what, I, it's a good does, story. <laughs> What what does this if that's true? Let's let's use that as I know ifs and buts. Candies and nuts. So I'll have a merry Christmas. Mm-hmm. If that's true, what does the season look like for Ken Holland? Like approaching the se- the, the the season, the Christmas break, the trade deadline, all of it. How do you see this going? If this is indeed the turnaround for Edmonton that we are all waiting to happen. Well, I mean, if it's if it goes like that, they revert to the plan they went into the season with. And that plan was to trundle along and, and win your more than your share of games. And, I mean, it was to compete for the Pacific Division title, which might be out of the barn already. We'll see about that. Uh, until you get to the trade deadline, and then you trade for somebody's rental expiring contract top four defenseman. That was the plan. You know, they got Ekholm last year. Now Ekholm came with several years, and that's good because he's a good player. They can't afford that this Great year. Deal. So if you're asking me what the plan is in Edmonton, it's to win enough games now that you're for sure, you know, second place in the Pacific and push in Vegas. And then when the when the deadline comes, we're assuming that the goaltending is good enough. We're assuming that we like the players we have up front. There's not a lot of room to do stuff here. They're pretty capped out. The plan is go find that UF, pending UFA defenseman who'd come in for a playoff run and bolster your back end. That's the plan, Jeff. That's the plan. Okay. Uh, we all know about <laughs> plans. I love what Elliot's grandmother used to always say, yeah, which is, you do. plan, God laughs. You plan, <laughs> God laughs. It's a great line by Elliot's grandma. Um, all right, Spec, another uh, Heritage Classic has come and gone. Another great outdoor game. Thanks so much for sharing your expertise and analysis on all of it. I much appreciated as always, Spec. All right, Jeff. Nice chatting with you. There he is, Mark Spector uh, from Sportsnet.ca covering the uh, the Heritage Classic uh, last night. 5-2 Edmonton Oilers over the Calgary Flames. Matt Marchese is back once again. And, Maddie, that uh, there's a number of headline stories from around the weekend. We sort of ran out of time at the bottom of the first hour. Did you, did you have a thought on the, the um, Adam, uh, unfortunate tragedy that befell Adam Johnson um, and the, the, uh, the subsequent conversation about mandatory neck guards? By the way, I do want to point out, and this was uh, do, 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 do. let me find it. This was uh, tweeted out by Patrick Williams, who covers both the uh, covers the American League for the a- for the AHL.com and also for NHL.com. Uh, per Rochester head coach Seth Appert, the team has ordered additional neck guards along with the base layer shirt and neck guard combination. Some players already have adopted them. Anyhow, do you have a, a thought on all of this? Well, firstly, um, it kind of puts your mortality in question, right? You, you, a 29-year-old guy who's just playing the sport that he loves, it's his job, whatever. Um, so that, you know, kind of really hit home. And even when my, my wife said, you know, did you see this or hear about it? And I said, I did. Um it made me feel something that I didn't think that I, I would because, you know, you play men's league. You don't you don't think about this kind of stuff. It can literally happen anywhere. And I think the most yeah. important thing is, you know, Jeff, when you said 
you know, what about the fans and all this? Like, if it can prevent one of these things from happening ever again, that is a win. It's not about, yeah. it's not, you know, like, it, it all it has to do is save one life. And that's, that's its goal. And that's important. Um, you asked if I had seen the video. I have not. Uh, I refuse to watch it. Um, and I actually saw something, uh, and Elliot had retweeted this, and it said, this is the only video that people should be watching, and it's Adam Johnson scoring his lone NHL goal for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I thought, I yeah. thought that, was, that was super important. But if, it do, if having a net guard saves one life, um, then to me, uh, that, that's, that's worth it in the end because hockey's a sport that, you know, like you said, this shouldn't happen. And there is a way to avoid this, or at least try and avoid something like this ever happening again. Um, so condolences to, to mm-hmm. Adam's family, the organization. And, and I, I'm glad you pointed out Matt Petgrave and all that as well, Jeff, because that's not, hey, he didn't oh, yeah. do it on purpose. It just happens in the speed of the game and oh. um, horrible feeling for, for Matt Petgrave. And I hope that, you know, he, he takes the time and, and, you know, understands that this was not his fault. And unfortunately, these kinds of things happen uh, not so often, but they do happen in the game of hockey. You know, there there have been a lot of conversations too, um, speaking of skates high, about um, like whenever the whenever the discussion turns to the opening and closing of the doors at the bench and the dangers that that provides, there have been um, there have been people at various general manager meetings through the years who have wondered about not having any doors on the boards as well for the bench because you know what happens if you open those doors and someone gets hit, it's it's bad news. And the argument against it has always been if we are only allowed to change um, by jumping over the boards, both to go on the ice and off the ice, we have too many skates up high. And what you're doing is you're asking for trouble. Um, to be quite honest with you, I'm kind of surprised that it hasn't happened already with players jumping over the board to, to get on a, on a line change. You know, they'll exit through the door, but they'll go off from the, from the bench. I'm kind of surprised considering how long there are skates in the air all game long that we haven't seen something, thankfully, um, happen uh, to, to cut a player, and in Adam Johnson's case, um, fatally. Um, but I keep coming back to the, uh, to the idea of, of the visuals and uh, teammates seeing that and what happens to them now and fans seeing that and what happens to them now. I just hope that that's part of All I'm saying when it comes to the fans is I just hope that it's part of the conversation because the players are very much going to think of themselves because it is their body, it is their career, it is their equipment, um, it is their choice, but they're also part uh, of an entertainment property here. And nobody wants to see that. Sometimes you can come to a hockey game and you can see like a big body check and someone gets really hurt. Um, And it's unfortunate, but you're still coming to watch that because it is part of the game. It is a contact sport. No one's coming to see someone get slashed with a skate. Mm -mm. And there are ways to avoid it and to protect players. Um, So as you may be thinking as a player, forget it, they're uncomfortable, they're not cool, whatever. The entertainment property here says your customers shouldn't have to see that. Again, I know it's a freak accident. I know it seldom if ever happens. But when it does happen, if you've seen this video, you know what I'm talking about. If you've seen the Clint Malarchuk video and they are, as it happens, as Tuttle Skate hits them, 
you know, um, the broadcasters are saying, get the camera off of Malarchuk. Get yeah. the cameras off. Get the cameras off. Thankfully, thankfully, Jim Pizzatelli came out and saved his life. Legendary trainer, you know, Vietnam vet, uh, legendary trainer for the for the Buffalo Sabres, a great medic and a, a great man who saved Clint Malarchuk's life. Um, unfortunately, there wasn't a Pizzatelli who was there for Adam Johnson yesterday. Um but I, I think it's 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 unfortunately it it comes to a situation like this where it's the only way you begin to have the conversation, and maybe it's more of a profound conversation at you know minor slash youth hockey levels, and then graduating up, and it's grandfathering them in for the NHLers, the guys that are in the league don't want to wear it. You're not going to tell me what to wear. This is my equipment, my choice, my career. Okay, um, but I know for my kids, like they wear full neck protection like the under the undershirt with the wrist guards and, and the attached uh neck protection the cut resistant neck protection as well just no reason not to yeah and, the, and oh, it's too hot it's uncomfortable no it's not you, you no, know what not, and and that's and that's the argument that i can't get behind i mean I, c- I could see maybe another argument if it was presented but that's not one i can get behind for for multitude of reasons one um the way that neck guards are not as bulky as they used to be um, they're protective with being lighter weight. They're not as thick. They're not whatever. And the shirts are are very good. Um, they're not cumbersome. They're not. They don't get in the way. It's just a, I'm not comfortable with yeah. it because I haven't worn it in forever. And that's part of the problem. It's you know you and I had this conversation about wearing a cage and stuff playing men's league. I don't like it. Can't. I, I didn't. I, I hated trying to make the change. Um, but it's because you know you have you just got to wear it for a while type deal. And so, um, and you don't think that the, these manufacturers yeah. out there that are now going to put money towards R&D for how do we make this so that, you know, NHLers will wear them because oh. this is going to be part you, of the conversation. You, you, you can be sure, mm-hmm. you can be sure that every equipment manufacturer is thinking about and having meetings about this right now, this week. Yep. Because there are, I mean, even just, you know, uh, yesterday afternoon uh, at my kids' games, both games, they both played yesterday. What do you think the conversation was around? Neck guards. Neck For guards. For sure. I'm, I'm just surprised they're not mandatory in junior hockey. That I was, I, I, that I'm really surprised at. Because in the, if I'm not mistaken, the Quebec League, a lot of guys were wearing them. And I've. Feel like yeah. it was mandatory at one point, and then they, they got rid of it. Maybe you know, you know, you know what, you know what though. Those neck guards, those were like, huge. They were no, but originally they were. But then eventually, as, as time wore on, they were just like tiny little cloths. Yeah, they were not. It was like a napkin wrapped around your neck because yeah. it was like, okay, I'll I'll put this on because I don't want to get I don't want to get a penalty. Well, I'll tell you what. In the in the actually in the OHL, um, the Niagara Ice Dogs, they had four players. Uh, the team got the team got punished. I'm not sure what it was. I think it was a fine because four of the Ice Dogs players didn't have this just happened recently. Didn't have neck guards for warm up. And the team got the team got dinged for it. I was on NHL uh, NHL radio this morning. Uh, Scott Lachlan and Bruce Boudreau was filling in for uh, for Gord Stellick. And Gabby was telling that story because he's a consultant with the Ice Dogs now. And he was telling that story that they had four players because they didn't have their neck guards on in warm-up. They got, they got dinged. So mm-hmm. there is like there is attention being paid to it. 
I just I, I just hope that it's so, more. I, I feel for everybody involved. There's so many friends and family. Sure. Adam Johnson, Matt Patgrave himself, and everybody who had to watch that. So the, you know, that, like that is a like much like the Malarchuk thing. It's burned into my brain forever, and now. After watching the Adam Johnson video, so unfortunately that will be forever too. You know, even um, as we can, as we talk about this, you know, the fa- even the fact that it's not mandatory in um, uh, youth hockey in the United States is also in the states. You know, th- this know. was th- I'm, there. I'm there was stunned. a there was a, a player who had passed away. I re- I'm now that I'm thinking about, it, I remember and I had to look it up. Um, Teddy Balkand. The, the guy who was playing, uh, he was she was a child. He was playing um, junior hockey, yeah. uh, junior varsity hockey in Greenwich. And and he had his, he, he passed away because of it. And USA Hockey did not make that change. Um, there's also a lot to be said about pl- kids who watch older players play, whether it be at the pro level or the junior level. They see these things. And we know they're very impressionable. Um makes it a lot easier to to sell kids on on wearing them and continuing to wear them as they grow up if other people are doing it too. So I, I really hope that there is change made because scary things happen yeah. in hockey. We've seen it. And when it's like this, Jeff, um, I, I can't even imagine what Adam Johnson's parents are going through right now. As a parent, a new parent myself, you, um, it's... I was uh, going to say you... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm 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 getting chills right now, Jeff. I, I I feel for for that family so much. They they say you are not supposed to bury your yep. children, and I hundred percent agree with that. You very much sound like a parent mm-hmm. now, Matt Marchese. Hey, man, I went through the same thing too. I'm not absolving myself either. I I, I change a lot of. I don't. Th- I think if you went through that and didn't equation and didn't do changes. it, you're not human. Yes. Um, quick thought on, not enough time here. We got uh, Ryan Novosinski coming up in a couple of seconds here. You're probably not going to do it justice in 30 seconds, but you got a hot 30 on Joe Thornton. And what a way to announce a retirement. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Joe Thornton is one of those guys with a big personality. Uh, I love it. Um, so here's here's one, uh, as, we, as I know we got to go to break. If Joe Thornton did not score a single goal in his NHL career, he would still be 65th all-time in NHL points ahead of Frank Mahovlich and behind Daryl Sittler. Remarkable. Uh, one of the most sublime players we've ever seen, one of the best playmakers, one of the best passers. And I know we marvel at Leon Dreisaitl and his ability to score goals from the goal line. Uh, Joe Thornton was the same way with uh, the San Jose Sharks for all of those years. Uh, congratulations on a great career. Um, it's interesting on the 32 Thoughts podcast. You know what Elliot's first thought was uh, on this one, Maddie? What's that? He said, watching the video, and I don't know about you, but I was fixated on the hat. Now, he's doing the video uh, shirtless because he's Joe Thornton. And it's like, I was waiting for him to pan down with the camera to see what he had on below the equator. Oh, my, (laughs) Elliot Friedman. Congratulations to uh, Joe Thornton. Man, the San Jose Sharks could use him right now. Nine goals in nine games. Uh, Joe, you shouldn't think about retiring. You should think about playing for the San Jose Sharks again. They could use the help. Uh, Devils writer for NewJersey.com, Ryan Novozinski joins me here in a couple of moments. We'll talk about Jack Hughes and the new Jersey Devils as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. 
Don't look now. The New Jersey Devils have won four of their last five. Don't look now, but could there be two Hughes brothers scooping up hardware at year's end, namely Quinn in Vancouver with the Norris and Jack in New Jersey with maybe a couple of different trophies? Art Ross, Hart Trophy. Anyone else getting that soap and warm water feeling about it? Maybe Ryan Novozinski, uh will. Covers the New Jersey Devils. You've heard him on the broadcast a number of times from NewJersey.com. Ryan, how are you doing today, pal? Jeff, don't look now, but uh, Luke Hughes is also leading all rookie skaters in points. Um, he's tied with Bobby Brink. <laughs> I was waiting. <laughs> no. That would, like, I'm, I'm telling you, like, I, I, I think we all cheer for great stories like that. You know, the you know, becoming the the first. Like, I've always considered uh, the Patricks to be the first family of hockey, and the effects of what the Patrick brothers did in the old Pacific League, the effects of which we're we're still feeling in the game today for a number of different reasons. And so maybe they won't be the first family. And there's been some legendary families uh, in the game, as we can all recall. Um, but this this one this one could be really special if this season breaks in a very specific way i would feel it with quinn i can feel it with jack i'm don't know that i'm there yet with luke it is a really tough calder field but to your point ryan what a marvelous story that would be if we saw a norris a hart an art ross and a calder all in the same family you you'd think one of them would be you know like a like a fourth line grind guy kind of thing no they're all they're all good, man. <laughs> They're all unbelievable. Like whatever, whatever Jim Hughes is, uh, is he, he's got to open some. He's got to write a book on skating or, or something like that. Um, it's it's really unbelievable. What what um, and Ellen too. Uh, what what they've been able to do with with their uh, three yeah. boys there. It's, it's really unbelievable. At- Athletic parents encourage their kids, uh, let them be creative. Like, I mean, you've dealt with, with Jack and for a number of years, and, and now you're dealing with Luke as well. I'm not sure how much you've dealt with Quinn, uh, but great personalities as well. Like, like you, as you know, you know, Jack is a go-to interview. Like, Jack is one of, um, one of the best personalities in the game, period. Um, I know this is going to sound like a shot at Lou Lamarillo, and it kind of might be. But, you know, if this were a different administration running the New Jersey Devils, I don't know that we'd get a sense of just how big a personality Jack Hughes is. Um, And I say that knowing that Matthew Barzal is a really big personality and a really engaging personality. But with that organization, it is team first. Uh, With this organization, though, no problem putting Jack Hughes out front and center. And Ryan, that's really where he belongs. He's a guy that knows the big stage, loves the big stage, wants to be on the big stage, and always wants to do something when he's out there. There's no empty calorie shifts for Jack Hughes. Not at all. And and listen, like you look at just some of these random games here and there, like this week, um, he's got 12 points in the past five games. I mean, you know, <laughs> it, it'll be like halfway through the second. Then you look at the score sheet and of course you saw the pat the pass, but you look and it's like, Oh, Jack has three assists tonight. He has, you know, four points tonight. Um, then he'll, you know, get it going scoring wise too, especially with how good the, uh, the power play has been with New Jersey. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and listen, I, I agree with you too. I mean, you go to Jack um, and you get honesty. Um, it's it's much. I, I think Lindy gives a, a similar amount of of honesty there. Um, but Jack is mm-hmm. like he's talking last week after the Islanders game, and he's sounding like a coach. Um, you know, talking about you know Timo's uh, slow start, and you know he said like you know he didn't coddle him, um, and he went out there and he you know called it like it was, and, and now Timo's you know starting to put some points on the board too. 
Um, so, yeah, it's been an interesting start for New Jersey. And, and of course, you know, with, with Jack at the top of the, uh, the, the points board there. You know, this is uh, this team is is appointment viewing for me, um, as you well know, and anyone that's listened to this show. Like, this is just a fun, a flat out fun team to watch, and it has been for for a couple of years here. Um, and to the point about Jack Hughes and Timo Meyer, that pass that he made to Meyer for uh, for Meyer's goal against the Buffalo Sabers, one of the best passes we've seen all season. I know it's early, but early in the season, it's one of the best passes we've we've seen in the league. Um, where are the where are the some naturally cynical? Where are the weak spots in this lineup? Like, where should everybody point to? Like, if you're a cynical person and you know you, you can't just take some delight in watching a fun New Jersey Devils team uh, take apart the Habs or the Sabers or the Minnesota Wild, their three most uh, recent victories. Where should we be looking? What I like about this Devils team, and I and I think no fan would admit it, but the fans like it too, is that they're winning. They're five, two, and one, um, but also there's plenty to complain about in those wins. You know how you know New Jersey fans are. Um, it's very yeah. similar to to give a football example to, to like the Eagles, like where yeah they're they're six and one, seven and one, whatever. But they're doing things that you know are not so great. That you know there's enough to complain about. Defensively, it's young. Um, you know Luke is obviously slotting in there. Uh, Kevin Ball's getting you know uh, improved minutes uh, this year. Um, but even, you know, I think on the back end, there's a lot of players, Dougie, for example, um, you know, Brendan Smith on the, on the bottom pair there with Luke, um, where there is potential for breakdowns. Uh, you saw Pat Maroon's goal last night, maybe uh, for Smith. Um, that's happened a bunch of times this season. Um, you know, they got to get a little tighter in their 200 foot game. And I think that'll really make this team boom. Um, and then, you know, in the same end, there's, you know, the goaltending question. Vanacek played well last night, um, and, and he's played well in pockets, but, you know, it hasn't really been the case for Schmidt. He doesn't quite have the same magic that he did uh, against the Rangers. Um, and, you know, of course, season's still young, but uh, that, that's definitely a storyline to follow, um, how the goaltending does and, and how defensively this, this team does it. And listen, there's there's injuries right now. Um, your, your buddy Nico is is, is dealing with, uh, with with some injuries after the uh, the yeah. Clifton hit, um, and you know Nosek has has barely played. Colin Miller hasn't played yet uh, in the regular season. Uh, they're both going to be out for a little bit. Um, it, there, there's definitely things to you know look at this Devils team and, and say, hey, yeah, they're they're still the the hot young Devils, but at the same time, you know they're not they're not winning. They're not dominating games as much as they did last season. They have the puck possession metrics. They're, mm-hmm. they're keeping the puck in their own end for the most part, but they got to get those chances. Some of them to connect more a little bit, I, I think would be the, uh, those are the three rings of, uh, you know, the, the devil's uh, complaints right now. What I love about the fan base as well is when you make a mistake, they correct you right away. Yes, the Jack Hughes pass to Timo Meyer was the Washington game, not the uh, the Buffalo Sabres. That was the wild one, right? Like that was the three periods of, of three stories. That was the Devils going down 3 nothing to Washington to come storming back and take the 4-3 lead and then watch the whole thing somehow fall apart in the in the, in the the third period and the 27- or 28-year-old rookie netminer gives his first career NHL win. Uh, I want to pick back up on Nico Heischer in, in a second, but rewinding to last week, the Capitals lost where we saw three games in one game, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I, I have this ongoing joke with, with a Devils fan on Twitter that, you know, once I start writing my game story is when the Devils start turning it around. So I'm thinking, okay, 3 nothing deficit in the first period. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I'm getting out of here yeah. easy tonight. Um, that, that wasn't the case. So 
you know, they turn it on in the second period. And then, you know, me and my, some of my colleagues were looking at each other like, Hey, like, you know, they're going to come back here. And then they did, uh, you know, like just a barrage of, of goals in that second period, uh, you know, starting with, uh, with, with our buddy Tyler Toffoli, who's done really well, obviously. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, you know, and, and I was telling them too, like, Hey, there's no way they're going to lose this game. Right. And they obviously ended up losing, um, which made it the hardest game story to write. But, you know, last year that it was a problem for them too. last year, the, these first periods, I mean, they, 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 it wasn't until last night that they scored a, the, the first goal in a game this season. I mean, they're one of 12 teams to do that through seven uh, games in, in NHL history. So there are definitely first period woes that, 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 you know, come about with this team and they don't really know what to pinpoint it on. I mean, if you're just looking at it, I test wise, I mean, they're, they're a little sluggish in, in first periods. And like we talked about the defensive play has not been, you know, up to par as, as to what it was last season, but you know, they're nothing if, if, but resilient um, as they were last season too. Uh, and that, that's been, you know, something to follow along uh, this year. 35, 40, 45, 50. Tell me where to stop. How many goals does Tyler Toffoli, if he stays healthy and continues to play with Jack Hughes, score this year? Man, you know, I I, I, I want to say it's going to be, if, if I'm a betting man, I would put, you know, 40 plus at least. You know, I, he's got seven yeah. this week, Jeff. I mean, that that's that's something that's, that's eye-opening. Um you know, since yep. that that uh, Islanders game where he you know really came to life, it, it's uh, and he already has a hat trick too. He almost had another one as, as well the other day. Um, this is a guy that's hell bent. Um, you know, the, the negotiations were with Calgary this summer were were tough. Obviously, it resulted in in, in a trade request and um, and you know him obviously coming to New Jersey. He is you know a pending uh, free agent, which I think will be an interesting storyline, but. From what I understand, I mean, he wanted to join at, at 32, 31 years old, however old he is. Um, he wanted to join a situation where he could be that that extra piece on a young, up and coming team. And what better team to do it than a team that already has, you know, a, a playoff uh, win under their belt, a playoff series win under their belt, um, and you know, did a little dancing in the playoffs last season, um, and obviously are, are one of the younger teams in the NHL. For him to latch onto that and you know have this instant chemistry with with uh, Jack Hughes and and uh, Timo Meyer, the line that he's on now, um, add that to the power play that that's been unbelievable this year, and I'm sure we'll touch on that. Oh, I don't automatic, see a better automatic. situation for this guy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it wasn't the case last year necessarily. No, it, it, it's it's been humming. I mean, top power play in the uh, in the NHL. Uh, it's remarkable. It's almost like you know, once upon a time, everyone used to tell everybody on on hockey Twitter when a game was going into overtime. Oh, here we go, three on three. Make sure you switch to Detroit, Ottawa, or make sure you get to L.A. Anaheim. They're going to three on three. This is when you know uh, overtime wasn't just you know a, a bunch of endless neutral zone regroups. It was sprints uh-huh. back and forth and and up and down the ice. And coaches, you know, didn't have their hooks into the thing uh, at that point. But now it's almost as if, you know, hockey Twitter should, you know, there should be some type of mechanism to alert everybody when New Jersey's going on the power play because, I mean, you're there to document all of them. When they start firing the puck around, it's a thing of beauty. Uh, who's the linchpin on this power play? Like, is there one player that kind of makes the whole thing go? You know, it's, it's a, you know, I would say there's a lot of different motors with it. Um, 
and that's kind of evidenced by the fact that Dougie Hamilton is regularly on the bottom power play unit. I mean, that that in and of itself is, is pretty ridiculous. You Wild. Jack and Luke on that top unit. Um, and, and, and the thing that they've, you know, been honing in on all season is that it's not really two. It's not really a power play one power play two kind of situation. It's, and it's not even one, a one B it's really just like, there's two top power play units on, on one roster. Um, and what was interesting last year is that they had the talent last year. Obviously, they didn't have Defoley, but you know they had Meyer and, and you know they had all these different weapons. That obviously you know Jesper Brad and, and Nico Heischer and, and Jack Hughes, but it didn't necessarily gel as as much as it, it was. I mean, it was a middle middle of the pack power play uh, percentage wise, and in the playoffs it was even worse. This year, this, and they've had you know several attempts. I think it's 33. They've had 33 chances, and they're converting to 42 percent. I mean that. That is ridiculous numbers uh, for for a team that you know it has all this uh, scoring talent. I mean, they're they're using it to their advantage. Of course, it's a man advantage, and you know you always want to make that happen. But this team, the way that they click, uh, Luke Hughes, you know, stepping in and automatically being the quarterback on on the top unit, and you know you got Dougie on the on the bottom one. Uh, and I say that in quotes um, is mm-hmm. is something special there. Um, and I, and I think you know. The way that Jack can distribute it um, in dangerous areas as well as, um, you know, score it now, I think that's that's something that is, you definitely got to keep your eye on. It's so remarkable about Dougie Hamilton as well because he's got one of the smoothest one-timers in the game. Like, it's it's a delight just watching that guy uh, fire one-timers. It is silky smooth. Okay, a couple of minutes left, but I do want to ask you about uh, Nico Heischer. Uh, how dare Connor Clifton hit the chosen one, the golden child? Nico Heischer, the man that can do no wrong uh, in the in the eyes of a middle-aged Jeff Merrick. Um, your thoughts on, on Heischer's game, and is there any updates with Nico Heischer? Yeah, there was an odd update today. So first and foremost, I mean, it's still being evaluated. Um, the Devils told us today, Lindy Ruff, you know, kind of kind of uh, has been saying like, you know, day to day the past couple of days. Um, the language kind of changed today. Um, it is now, you know, it's he's being evaluated day by day uh, is, is what the new terminology is there. So, you know, it's so hard to pierce through some of these uh, new hockey terms and, and stuff like that. You know, I feel like they always kind of try to uh, <laughs> give, give a, any way that they can to, to not give a serious injury update. But listen, it, it's hard to evaluate. Uh, we don't know if he's going on their, their upcoming road trip uh, as of right now. We'll, we'll obviously, you know, try to get more of an update as the week progresses. But it, it's just a shame, too, because there's so much expectation going in, you know, to the to this season for Nico Heischer career high last year, Selkie yeah. finalist, um, and, and Bergeron retires. And it's like, oh, okay, Nico Heischer, that, this is going to be his time now, right? Um, he started playing well, too. I mean, he was without a, he was without a point in the first couple of games, finally gets a goal, um, and, you know, just awful timing on, on this injury. What we noticed, though, is that he's getting hit a lot more this season. Um, it's Pretty fascinating. Uh, you know, he, the teams really are, have just been going at him and, and um, like to see a little bit more of a, a physical response to that. Obviously, Andre Palat, you know, stepped in there and, and dropped the gloves with, with Clifton. Um, but, you know, it's 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 something to, to look at, you know, how much Heischer's been, you know, kind of targeted this year. I, I wonder if he's just, you know, he might just be someone that likes to chirp on the ice a little bit. I, I, I'm not necessarily sure, but um, don't know why, you know, a lot of teams are, are really uh, centering in on, on him. 
You know, it's like uh, it's like Adam Oates. I was having a conversation with him once about all the Detroit Red Wings players um, whose career ended, and they're you know they're they're you know injured to to end their uh, careers. And he said, "Well, that's going to happen when you have a when you have a possession team. Like you get hit when you have the puck." He said, "The one thing the Red Wings never did is they never surrendered the puck for better positional advantage. They held on to the puck, and their pay, their players paid the price. You wonder if it's same thing with Nico Heischer. Ryan, we're, we're flat out of time. Thanks as always for stopping by. New Jersey's got to be a fun team to cover because it certainly is a fun team to watch. Thanks so much for sharing your expertise today. Much appreciated. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it." There we go, uh, Ryan Novozinski, uh, who stopped by today talking about the New Jersey Devils. Thanks to him for stopping by. Mark Spector, a big thank you for stopping by. Uh, Vince Mercogliano from USA Today filled us in on the really good New York Rangers. They're facing off against the Winnipeg Jets tonight. Yes, it is the return of Blake Wheeler to Manitoba. Look forward to that one on Sportsnet 1. And, and Matty Marchese. Uh, who kicked off the uh, the top of the show here today as well. Uh, tomorrow, Elliot Friedman returns uh, to kick off the program, and we'll cover what we're watching tonight, namely nine games around the league. Merrick, show back in 22 hours across the Sportsnet Radio Network.